0: Alright guys, we're going to be reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Chapter 1 today, and we're starting. The house stood on a slight rise just on the edge of the village. It stood on its own and looked out over a broad spread of West Country farmland. Not a remarkable house by any means. It was about thirty years old, squattish, squarish, made of brick, and had four windows set in the front of a size and proportion, which, more or less, exactly failed to please the eye. The only person for whom the house is in any way special was Arthur Dent, and that was because it happened to be the one he lived in. He had lived in it for more than three years, ever since he had moved out of London, because it made him nervous and irritable. He was about 30, as well as tall, dark-haired, and never quite at ease with himself. The thing that used to worry him most was the fact that people always used to ask him what he was looking so worried about. He worked in local radio, which he always used to tell his friends was a lot more interesting than they probably thought. It was, too. Most of his friends worked in advertising. On Wednesday night, it had rained very heavily. The lane was wet and muddy, but the Thursday morning sun was bright and clear as it shone on Arthur Den's house for what was to be the last time. It hadn't properly registered yet with Arthur that the council wanted to knock it down and build a bypass instead. At 8 o'clock on Thursday morning, Arthur didn't feel very good. He woke up blearily, got up, wandered blearily round his room, opened a window, saw a bulldozer. Found his slippers and stomped off to the bathroom to wash. Toothpaste on the brush, so scrub. Shaving mirror pointed at the ceiling, he adjusted it. For a moment it reflected a second bulldozer through the bathroom window. Properly adjusted it, reflected Arthur Dent's bristles. He shaved them off, washed, dried, and stomped off to the kitchen to find something pleasant to put in his mouth. Kettle, plug, fridge, milk, coffee. Yawn. The word bulldozer wandered through his mind for a moment in search of something to connect it with. The bulldozer outside the kitchen window was quite a big one. He stared at it, yellow, he thought, and stomped off back to his bedroom to get dressed. Pa- passing the bathroom, he stopped to drink a large glass of water and another. He began to suspect that he was hungover. Why was he hung over? Had he been drinking the night before? He supposed that he must have been. He caught a glint in the shaving mirror, yellow, he thought, and stomped on to the bathroom. He stood and thought. The pub, he thought. Oh dear, the pub. He vaguely remembered being angry. Angry about something that seemed important. He'd been telling people about it. Telling people about it in great length. He rather suspected. Blazed looks on other people's faces. Something about a new bypass he'd just found out about. It had been in the pipeline for months, only no one seemed to have known about it. Ridiculous. He took a swig of water. It would sort itself out. He decided. No one wanted a bypass. The council didn't have a leg to stand on. It would sort itself out. God, what a terrible hangover it had earned him, though. He looked at himself in the wardrobe mirror. He stuck out his tongue. Yellow, he... The word yellow wandered through his mind in search of something to connect with. Fifteen seconds later, he was out of his house and lying in front of a big yellow bulldozer that was advancing up his garden path. Mr. L. Prosser was, as they say, only human. In other words, he was a carbon-based bipedal life-form descended from an ape. More specifically, he was forty, fat, and shabby, and worked for the local council. Curiously enough, though, he didn't know it. He was also a direct male-line descendant of Genghis Khan. Though intervening generations and in racial mixing had so juggled his genes that he had no discernible Mongoloid characteristics, and the only vestiges left in Mr. L. Prosser of his mighty ancestry were a pronounced stoutness about the tum, and a predilection for little fur half. He was by no means a great warrior. In fact, he was a nervous, worried man. Today he was particularly nervous, and worried because something had gone seriously wrong with his job, which was to see that Arthur Dent's house got cleared out of the way before the day was out. Come off it, Mr. Dent, he said. You can't win, you know. You can't lie in front of the bulldozer indefinitely. He tried to make his eyes blaze fiercely, but they just wouldn't do it. Arthur lay in the mud and squelched at him. I'm game, he said. We'll see who rusts first. I'm afraid you're gonna have to accept it, said Mr. Prosser, gripping his fur hat and rolling it around the top of his head. This bypass has got to be built, and it's going to be built. First I've heard of it, said Arthur. Why it got to be built? Mr. Prosser shook his finger at him for a bit, then stopped and put it away again. What do you mean, why has it got to be built? He said, it's a bypass. You've got to build a bypass. Hey guys, thanks for listening. We're going to continue more of the book in the next segment. Hey guys, we're going to continue from where we left off at Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Bypasses are devices that allow some people to dash from point A to point B very fast, while other people dash from point B to point A very fast. People living at point C being a point directly in between, are often given to wonder what's so great about point A that so many people from point B are so keen to get there? And what's so great about point B that so many people from point A are so keen to get there? They often wish that people would just, once and for all, work out where the hell they wanted to be. Mr. Prosser wanted to be at point D. Point D wasn't anywhere in particular. It was just a convenient point a very long way from points A, B, and C. He would have a nice little cottage at Point D, with axes over the door, and spread a pleasant amount of time at Point E, which would be the nearest pub to Point D. His wife, of course, wanted climbing roses, but he wanted axes. He didn't know why, he just liked axes. He flushed hotly under the diverse grins of the bulldozer driver. He shifted his weight from foot to foot, but it was equally uncomfortable on each. Obviously, somebody had been appallingly incompetent, and he hoped to God it wasn't him. Mr. Prosser said, you were quite entitled to make any suggestions or protests at the appropriate time, you know. Appropriate time? Hooted Arthur? Appropriate time? The first time I knew about it was when a workman arrived at my home yesterday. I asked him if he'd come to clean the windows, and he said no. He'd come to demolish the house. He didn't tell me straight away, of course. Oh, no. First, he wiped a couple of the windows and charged me a fiver. Then he told me, but Mr. Dent, the plants have already been available in the local office for the last nine months. Oh yes, well, as soon as I heard, I went straight round to see yesterday afternoon. You hadn't exactly gone out of your way to call attention to them, hadn't you? I mean, like actually telling anybody or anything? But the plans were on display. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar to find them. That's the display department. With a flashlight. Ah, well, the lights had probably gone. So had the stairs. But look, you found the notice, didn't you? Yes, said Arthur. Yes, I did. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet stuck in a disused laboratory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. A cloud passed overhead. It cast a shadow over Arthur Dent as he lay propped up on his elbow in the cold mud. It cast a shadow over Arthur Dent's house. Mr. Prosser frowned It's not as if it's a particularly nice house, he said. I'm sorry, but I happen to like it. You like the bypass? Oh, shut up, said Arthur Dent. Shut up and go away and take your bloody bypass with you. You haven't got a leg to stand on and you know it. Mr. Prosser's mouth opened and closed a couple times, while his mind was, for a moment, filled with inexplicable but terribly attractive versions of Arthur Dent's house being consumed with fire and Arthur himself running screaming from the blazing ruin with at least three hefty spears protruding from the (laughs) back Mr. Prosser was often bothered with visions like these and they made him feel very nervous he stuttered for a moment and then pulled himself to Mr. Dent he said hello yes said Arthur some factual information for you have you any idea how much damage the bulldozer would suffer if i just let it roll straight over you how much said arthur none at all said mr prosser and stormed nervously off wondering why his brain was filled with a thousand hairy horsemen all shouting by a curious coincidence none at all is exactly how much suspicion the ape descendant arthur dent had that one of his closest friends was not descended from an ape but was in fact from a small planet somewhere in the vicinity of Betelgeuse and not from the Guilford, as he usually claimed. Arthur Dent had never, ever suspected this. This friend of his had first arrived on the planet Earth from 15 Earth years previously, and he had worked hard to blend himself into Earth society, with, it must be said, some success. For instance, he had spent those 15 years pretending to be an out-of-work actor, which was plausible enough. He had made one careless blunder, though, Because he had skimped a bit on his preparatory research, the information he had gathered led him to choose the name Ford Prefect as being nicely inconspicuous. He was not inconspicuously tall. His features were striking, but not conspicuously handsome. His hair was wiry and gingerish, brushed backwards from the temples, his skin seemed to be pulled backwards from the nose, and there was something very slightly odd about him. It was difficult to say what it was. Perhaps it was that his eyes didn't seem to blink often enough, and when you talked to him for any length of the time, your eyes began involuntarily to water on his behalf. Perhaps it was because that he smiled slightly too broadly and gave people the unnerving impression that he was about to go for their neck. Thanks for listening, guys. More continue in the next segment. Alright, guys, this is ch- part three of chapter one of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He struck most of the friends he made on Earth as an eccentric, but a harmless one, an unruly boozer with some oddish habits. For instance, he would often gatecrash university parties, get badly drunk, and start making fun of any astrophysicists he could find till he got thrown out. Sometimes he would get seized with oddly distracted moods and stare into the sky as if hypnotized until someone asked him what he was doing. Oh, just looking for flying saucers, he would joke, and everyone would laugh and ask him what sort of flying saucers he was looking for. Green ones, he would reply with a wicked grin, laugh wildly for a moment, and then suddenly lunge for the nearest bar and buy an enormous round of drinks. Evenings like this usually ended badly. Ford would get out of his skull on whiskey, huddle in a corner with some girl, and explain to her in slurred phrases that honestly the color of flying saucers didn't matter that much, really. Thereafter, staggering semi piratically down the night streets, he would often ask passing policemen if they knew the way to Beetlejuice. The policeman would usually say something like, Don't you think it's about time you went home, sir? I'm trying to, baby, I'm trying to, is what Ford invariably replied on these occasions. In fact, what he was really looking for when he stared distractedly into the sky was any kind of flying saucer at all. The reason he said Green was that Green was the traditional space library of the Beetlejuice trading scouts. Ford Prefect was desperate that any flying saucer at all would arrive soon because 15 years was a long time to get stranded anywhere, particularly somewhere as mind-bogglingly dull as Earth. Ford wished that a flying saucer would arrive soon because he knew how to flag flying saucers down and get lifts from them. He knew how to see the marvels of the universe for less than 30 hours Altarian dollars a day. In fact, Ford Prefect was a roving researcher for the wholly remarkable book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Human beings are great adapters, and by lunchtime, life in the environs of Arthur's hosts has settled into a steady routine. It was Arthur's accepted role to lie squelched in the mud making occasional demands to see his lawyer, his mother, or a good book. It was Prosser's accepted role to tackle Arthur with the occasion new ploy as for the public good talk or march of progress talk, the they-knocked-my-house-down-once-you-know never-looked-back talk and various other cow and threats, and it was the bulldozer driver's accepted role to sit around drinking coffee and experimenting with union regulations to see how they could turn the situation to their financial advantage. The earth moved slowly in its diurnal states, The sun was beginning to dry out, the mud Arthur lay in, and a shadow moved across him again. "'Hello, Arthur,' said the shadow. Arthur looked up and squinted into the sun, was startled to see Ford Prefect standing above him. "'Ford, hello, how are you?' "'Fine,' said Ford. "'Look, are you busy?' "'Am I busy?' exclaimed Arthur. "'Well, I've just got all these bulldozers and things to lie in front of because they'll knock down my house down if it don't.' "'But other than that, well, no, not especially. "'Why?' They don't have sarcasm on Beetlejuice, and Ford Prefect often failed to notice it unless he was concentrating. He said, "'Good, is there any way we can talk?' "'What?' said Arthur, Dent. For a few seconds later, Ford seemed to ignore him, and stared fixedly into the sky like a rabbit trying to get run over by a car. Then suddenly he squatted down beside Arthur. "'We've got to talk,' he said urgently. "'Fine,' said Arthur. "'Talk and drink,' said Ford. "'It's vitally important that we talk and drink.' "'Now, we'll go to the pub in the village.' He looked into the sky again, nervous and expectant. "'Look, don't you understand?' shouted Arthur. He pointed at Prosser. "'That man wants to knock my house down.' Ford glanced at him, puzzled. "'Well, he can do it while you're away, can't he?' he asked. "'But I don't want him to.' "'Ah, look, what's the matter with you, Ford?' said Arthur. "'Nothing. Nothing's the matter. Listen to me. "'I've got to tell you the most important thing you've ever heard. "'I've got to tell you now.' and I've got to tell you, in the saloon bar of the horse and groom. But why? Because you're going to need a very stiff drink. Ford stared at Arthur, and Arthur was astonished to find his will beginning to weaken. He didn't realize that this was because an old drinking game that Ford learned to play in the hyperspace ports that served the Mandrite mining belts in the star system of Orion Beta. The game was not unlike the Earth game called Indian Wrestling, and was played like this. Two contestants would sit at either side of the table, and a glass in front of each of them. Between them would be placed a bottle of Jack's Sprites, immortalized in the ancient Orion mining song. Alright guys, sorry for stopping at a bad place, but we'll continue this again in the next section. Alright guys, this is Chapter 1, Part 4 of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Don't give me no more of that old Jang spirit. No, don't give me no more of that old Jang spirit. For my head will fly, my tongue will lie, My eyes will fry and I may die. Oh, won't you pour me one more of that sinful old jank spirit." Each of the two contestants would then concentrate their will on the bottle and attempt to tip it and pour spirit into the glass of his opponent, who would then have to take a drink it. The bottle would then be refilled, the game would be plagued again and again. Once you started to lose, you probably would keep losing, because one of the effects of jank spirit is to depress telepsychic power. As soon as the predetermined quantity had been assumed, the final loser would have to perform a forfeit, which was usually obscenely biological. Ford Prefect usually played to lose. Ford stared at Arthur, who began to think that perhaps he did want to go to the horse and groom after all. But what about my house? He asked plaintively. Ford looked across to Mister Prosser, and suddenly, had a wicked thought, struck him. He wants to knock your house down. Yes, he wants to build a any camp because you're lying in front of this bulldozer. Yes, and. "'I'm sure we can come to some sort of arrangement,' said Ford. "'Excuse me!' he shouted. "'Mr. Prosser, who was arguing with a spokesman for the bulldozer drivers "'about whether or not Arthur Dent considered it as a mental health health hazard "'and how much they should get paid if he did.' "'Looked around, he was surprisingly and slightly alarmed "'to see that Arthur Dent had company. "'Yes, hello,' he called. "Has Mr. Dent come to his senses yet? "'Can we go for a moment?' called Ford. "Assume that he hasn't.' "'Well,' sighed Prosser, and we can assume, said Ford, that he's going to be staying here all day. So? So all your men are going to be standing around all day doing nothing. Could be, could be. Well, if you are resigned to be doing that anyway, you don't actually need him to lie here all the time, do you? What? You don't, said Ford patiently. Actually need him here. Mr. Proster thought about this. Well, no, not as such, he said. Not exactly need. Proster was worried. He thought that one of them wasn't making a lot of sense, Ford said. So if you would just like to take it as read he, that he's actually here, then he and I could slip off down to the pub for half an hour. How does that sound? Mr. Prosser thought it sounded perfectly potty. And that sounds perfectly reasonable, he said in a reassuring tone of voice, wondering who he was trying to reassure. And if you want to pop off for a quick one lady yourself, said Ford, we can always cover for you in return. Thank you very much, said Mr. Prosser, who no, no longer knew how to play this at all. Thank you very much. Yes, that's very kind, he frowned, and then smiled and tried to do both at once. Failed, grasped hold of his fur hat and rolled it fitfully around the top of his head. He could only assume that he had just won. So, continued Ford Prefect, if you would just like to come over here and lie down... What? said Mr. Prosser. I'm sorry, said Ford. Perhaps I haven't made myself fully clear. Somebody's got to lie in front of the bulldozer, haven't they? or they wouldn't be anyone to stop them driving into Mr. Dent's house, will there? What? said Mr. Prosser again. It's very simple, said Ford. My client, Mr. Dent, says that he will stop lying here in the mud on the sole condition that you come over and take over for him. What are you talking about? said Arthur. But Ford nudged him with his shoe to be quiet. You want me, said Prosser, spilling out this new thought to himself, to come and lie there. Yes, in front of the bulldozer. Yes. Instead of Mr. Dent. Yes, in the mud. In, as you say, the mud. As soon as Mr. Prosser realized that he was substantially the loser, after all, it was as if a weight lifted itself off his shoulders. This was more like the world as he knew it, he said, in return for which you will take Mr. Dent with you down to the pub. That's it, said Ford. That's it exactly. Mr. Prosser took a few nervous steps forward and stopped. Promise, he said. Promise, said Ford. He turned to Arthur. Come on, he said. Get up and let the man lie down. Arthur stood up, feeling as if he was in a dream. Ford beckoned to Prosser, who sadly, awkwardly sat down in the mud. He felt that his whole life was some kind of dream, and he sometimes wondered whose it was and whether they were enjoying it. The mud folded itself around his bottom and his arms and oozed into his shoes. Ford looked at him severely. And no sneakily knocking Mr. Dent's house down while he's away, all right? The mere thought, growled Mr. Prosper, hadn't even begun to speculate. He continued, settling himself back about the merest possibility of coverliness of the mine. He saw the bulldozer driver union representative approach and let his head sink back and close his eyes. He was trying to marshal his arguments for proof that what he did now considered a mental health hazard for himself. Alright guys, we'll finish this chapter in the next segment. Thanks for listening.